All right, well, good morning, everyone. It's always a privilege to stand up here and share the Word of God with you. And it's a privilege that is never taken for granted. And our trust and prayer and hope is that all the focus will be on the Lord Jesus and that everyone that hears uh, the message today will benefit greatly and be built up and encouraged in your faith as a result. Um, today, I would like to take on a challenging subject, and uh, if you have your Bible with you, I would like to turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. So before we read, I just want to make a couple of uh, introductory comments. You know, I think it's no surprise to say that we are living in unprecedented times. And as you look across the world and read the news media, people's hearts are failing them for fear. And the, the future looks very uncertain. And I read this article this week that got me thinking. Uh, there's a news article in ABC uh, News. It's an American news publication. And one of the things that they reported was that Dictionary.com um, chose the word unprecedented for the year of 2020 to describe the character of what happened. Apparently, they do this every year. Um, they look in reflection on the year that has passed, and they choose one word to say which word uniquely describes the year that has passed, and they chose unprecedented. The article went on to say that world leaders are charting an unprecedented course. And that uncertainty is gripping the world and people are wondering, what does the future hold? Economically, politically, and even environmentally, men's hearts are failing them for fear and there is tremendous uncertainty. And as I thought about that, I want to say this. Our future as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is bright. And we are not in the dark. We know exactly what the future holds. Do you know why? Because the future has already been written. And, and God has unfolded for us what the future will look like. And for those who know Christ, your future is extremely bright. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and he said, you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. He goes on to say in verse 4, you are not in darkness, that the events of this day should overtake you. And so I think it's very fitting as we look at the world that we live in today to, to share with you a little of the Lord's teaching from the Mount of Olives and it's commonly known as the Olivet Discourse, as he unfolded the truth of the future. So with that, I just want to read in Matthew chapter 24, 
If we could pull up the first slide would be great. This is a picture that was taken uh, April of last year as I stood on the Mount of Olives. It was a beautiful, crystal clear, sunny day, and you have such a vantage point looking over the whole city of Jerusalem. And as I stood there and snapped this picture with my iPhone, I thought about what tremendous truth the Lord Jesus unfolded from this mountain and, and what this mountain is yet to see in the return of the coming of the Lord Jesus. So let's read it together. Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to read at verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and the disciples came unto him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, this is the very top of the Mount of Olives, and this is likely exactly where Jesus sat when he unfolded this tremendous truth. The disciples came to him and asked him privately, saying, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and they shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences. Interesting. We're living in a pandemic and earthquakes, and various places, and all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. Because iniquity shall abound, and the love of many will grow cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Drop down to verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation. Not just any tribulation, but great tribulation, such as was not seen since the beginning of the world, to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, Believe it not. For there shall arise many false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that 
if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Verse 27, For as lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Drop down to verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven even unto the other. Verse 35 is significant. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and of that hour knoweth no man. No one can predict the coming, the day of the coming of the Lord. But my Father only uh, is the one who knows. And in verse 37 it says, But as it were in the days of Noah so shall it also be in the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days they were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Verse 44, Therefore, Be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find him so doing. Now I want to read one other portion uh, in... 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, my brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even them also who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So today I want to share with you the subject of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to take you to the Mount of Olives, and if you could just imagine this staggering, incredible truth 
that was unfolded to the disciples as they sat in awe, I'm sure, and listened to the teaching of the Lord Jesus. I'd like to look at this subject in two parts. And I realize that I will not finish this message today. This is a two-part message. And so today, I want to share with you the character of end times. What will it be like in the end times? This is one of the greatest questions that the disciples asked the Lord Jesus. Do you know that many people asked the Lord Jesus many questions? But this question, the Lord Jesus took more time and more content that is recorded in the scriptures of a detailed answer to this question more than the Lord Jesus detailed in answer of any other question. And the question is, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? Well, let me just say at the beginning, we are exhorted as believers that when we see all these things coming to pass in our world, to not be troubled. Not be afraid because God has told us all these things will come to pass. But rather, for believers, we are exhorted to be diligent, to be discerning, and to be strengthened in our faith when we see all these incredible events that are starting to unfold in our world. Jesus said in Luke chapter 21 and verse 38, in the very same context, he said these words. He said, when you see all these things come to pass, he said, lift up your heads. Look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Isn't it exciting to be living in the end times? I mean, you think about our generation and, and all the events that are unfolding before our very eyes. I am excited to be living in these days when God is moving and things are starting to happen and I can see the prophecy of Scripture unfolding before my very eyes. The character of end times. Well, by way of introduction of this large, immense subject, I, I want to make a few comments. First of all, I would say this. I am dispensational in my view of eschatology. And I recognize that there are various opinions and various points of view, not really of the fundamentals, but particularly of the sequence of events that happen and how they are unfolded. And so I look at Scripture and the Lord's prophecy through the lens of dispensational theology. And I am certainly open-minded. I am not dogmatic. And if somebody else looks at it differently, I'm certainly open to hearing your point of view. But as I read the Scriptures, this viewpoint makes the most sense to me. And I'll tell you why. I believe that there are two aspects of the second coming of Christ. And what we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is the first 
aspect of the second coming of Christ. And I believe that the Lord Jesus is going to come to the air and he will shout. And all that have died in Christ, the graves will be opened and their bodies will be raised and they will be changed. And those of us who are so privileged to be alive and remain, when we hear that shout, we will be caught up, snatched away. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We will be changed in a moment. 1 Corinthians 15 says, In a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, there will be an amazing, unprecedented event that all those that are Christ's, the church, will be raised and we will meet the Lord in the air and then we will go into the Father's house. Now I believe that the events that we read in, in Matthew 24 will unfold through the period of the tribulation time while the church is in heaven. I see that the day of the Lord is a literal seven-year period, which is commonly referred to as Daniel's 70th week that's referred to in Daniel chapter 9. And I believe that at the very end of that tribulation period, I believe that there will be the battle of Armageddon and the Lord will come judge the living nations and will set up his literal throne in Jerusalem and will reign on this earth for a thousand years which is known as the millennium reign of Christ, and there will be a bright future for Israel. Now that's the, the general context that I look at this. I believe that the, the period of tribulation is quite significant, and it will be dramatically divided in two parts. And we get that from Daniel's prophecy, and we also see it in the book of Revelation. So the first three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation will be relatively a time of peace and there will be a new world order and things will be ushered in where one man will rise up and people will think that he's got all the answers halfway through the tribulation there is the abomination of desolation and there is a sacrifice that happens at the temple and the covenant relationship with Israel will be broken and then there will be great great tribulation, which is referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble. Now, I plan, Lord willing, to unfold the events of that in following messages. So today we're going to look at what the character of end times is going to look like, and in my next message, we're going to look at the chronological sequence of events and how they unfold based on biblical prophecy. I think the first thing that I learn as I read through Matthew 24 is that there is a character of departure. Now, if you just turn back to Matthew 24, you'll, you'll read a couple of significant phrases. In verse 1, it says that Jesus went out and departed from the temple. That is significant. Because a few chapters back... Jesus is referring to the temple as my father's house. But in chapter 23 and verse 38, there's a change. And he says, your house is left unto you 
desolate. And in fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy that says that the glory of the Lord departed from the temple. I believe that that is exactly what literally happened when Jesus left the temple that day. The glory of the Lord, the presence of God, departed from the temple. And these people who had rejected their Messiah were left on their own, desolate, and the presence of God had removed from the nation of Israel, and they were largely in unbelief. In fact, in John chapter 1, it says that he came unto his own, his own people, and they received him not. And what's so sad is you see Lord Jesus at the very top of this mountain, weeping over Jerusalem, and he's saying, oh, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you together, but you would not. The presence of God was amongst them. He walked in their streets. He taught them the truth, and they largely rejected him. Isn't it ironic when you think that the nation of Israel and the leaders had finally decided he is not the Messiah. He is not God. And it's expedient that one man die for the people. Execute him. Let's get rid of him. And so when they had collectively decided that he is not God and they are plotting his murder, Jesus is on the top of Mount Olivet doing what only God can do. And he tells the future. I I think that's amazing. The nation has rejected Christ and he comes to his own and he gathers them around and he unfolds for them the, the events of the future. It's marked by a time of departure. You know that in, in John chapter 13 and verse 1, the Lord Jesus himself has told his own disciples that he is departing from the world. And so the disciples who were really confused, they, they had thought Jesus was going to set up his kingdom. He was going to overthrow the, the, the Romans and that he was going to reign. And, and he has said to them, I'm going away. And, and where I'm going, you can't come right now, but you will come afterwards. And so this age of the church age that is ushered in, and it's been 1988 years since Jesus spoke these words. Almost 2,000 years. I believe that this was spoken in AD 33. And here we are now in, in 2021. And all of this time is unfolded so that the church can be brought in, and that the purposes of God can be fulfilled. And it's a day of grace where God is dealing with mankind in undeserved kindness. And judgment is yet coming. And so this character of this age is marked by departure. Departure of the Lord's presence from the temple. Let's just go to the next slide here. These are the the characteristics that I'm talking about, and you can follow them along on the screen. So, um, departure of the Lord Jesus from the world, and with the promise that he will return. In John chapter 14, he said, I will come again, and I will receive you unto myself. And then, as, as the word of God starts to develop through 
um, many people getting saved and that Pentecost comes and it's the apostolic age and churches are formed and the church is birthed and the Holy Spirit is, is drawing out people from the nations. Paul says this very, very interesting prophecy in Acts chapter 20 and verse 29. He said to the Ephesian elders, he said, do you know that after my departure, grievous wolves will set in, not sparing the flock. And so this is the beginning of false teaching and false prophets and, and all these people that were going to come you know, in this garb disguised as true believers, but really not. And so as this age is unfolding, it's marked by a character of departure. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul said in one of his last letters that he ever wrote, he said, in the latter times, some will depart from the faith and they will give heed and, and focus on doctrines of demons. And in 2 Th uh, Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul said, in the last days, I believe that's where we are. Perilous times shall come. It will be difficult times. Men shall be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Blasphemers, proud, ignorant, arrogant. The, this is the condition of people in our age that we live with today. And, and this is actually unfolding. And then he says that there will be a departure of the church. Um, this is beautiful hope. Because at the very end of the age of the day of grace... There was that revelation, that mystery that was hid from the ages that Paul unfolded to the saints at Thessalonica. And he said, don't worry. The ones that have died in Christ, they're not going to miss out on these blessings. Because Christ will return and they that sleep in Jesus will be raised up. And we will be gathered together and we will go into the Father's house. That's what Jesus promised in John 14, that in my Father's house, that's not earth, that's heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place, and I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you will be also. So Jesus in John 14 is promising that he's going to come for the church. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul unfolds this mystery that Jesus Christ will come and he will call and those that are dead will rise up. And so there will be the departure of the church. There will also be the departure of the Holy Spirit. That's quite concerning because right now the Holy Spirit, who is God, is in the world to convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. But there is coming a time when that restraining force will be drawn back, and, and all iniquity will, will roll through this world like a flood, like a massive flood. It would be like pulling back a dam and just letting the deluge of flood waters go through the whole world. That will come. It will come to pass, and we get that in 1 Thessalonians, um, I believe it's chapter 5. It might be 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But we, we get that, that assurance that one day there will be the departure of the Holy Spirit. Yes, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 7. So 
The first thing that I want you to realize is that this age that we live in is characterized by departure. But Jesus said something else. He said that this age is characterized by destruction. You know, when Jesus departed and that that significance event happened, he said three times, and we read it in Matthew 24, that many people will be deceived and there will be massive destruction that will come upon the earth. First of all, he refers to the destruction of the temple. And the disciples were shocked by this. This was not expected. Now, that temple was magnificent. Likely one of the most magnificent structures on all the earth in that time. It was massive. And the whole front face of it was shining white marble. And the eastern side of the temple was completely covered in pure gold. And so with the rising of the sun that shone on the temple, the, the, the beautiful gold was reflected by the sun. And, and Israel, every Jew, was in awe of the temple. And, and, and so much so that they almost worshipped the temple. And they left off worshipping God. Can I stop here for a second? This can happen to us today. We can worship a system. We can worship a religion and miss Christ. We could miss the person and and get sold on some type of a religious ceremony. Be not so. May God forbid that that ever happens. Our focus needs to be on Christ. And so the disciples are saying, Master, see how beautiful this temple is? Isn't it gorgeous? Like, wow, it's so amazing. And Jesus said, yeah, do you see this? Not one of these stones is going to be left upon another. It's going to be destroyed. It's going to be torn down. And I'm sure this was shocking to the disciples. So as we read through this passage, I want to make this statement. In Matthew chapter 24, I believe there is an early and partial fulfillment of this prophecy that really happened in A.D. 70. But then I think that there is a latter and final fulfillment that will happen at the Great Tribulation. And so it's good to keep that in mind. Um, In AD 70, most of you know this history, there was an uprising, a rebellion of the the Jews in Israel against the Roman Empire, and, and Rome went in and they basically sacked the temple and they totally destroyed Jerusalem and they burnt it with fire. And Titus, the Roman governor who was the son of the emperor, he went in and he totally decimated um, the temple. And so historically in AD 70, this actually happened, but that temple will be rebuilt again. And then there will be another destruction of the temple. And we get that through biblical prophecy. We'll talk about that later. But we're living in an age marked by departure. We're living in an age that will eventually be marked by destruction Jesus said, there will not be left here one stone upon another. And that's in reference to the temple, but there are many ways that this age that we live in is marked by destruction. Let me give you a few examples. We're living in a world that is marked by destruction of biblical morality. And we are living in a world that governments and authority have overthrown and totally rejected the Christian worldview in any form of biblical morality. 
That is a step that is marked by destruction. And as we look at our world today, it's like it is, like it was in the days of Noah, just like we read in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 37 to 38, the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, the days of the coming of the Son of Man, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. And when you think of violence that was on the earth in Genesis chapter 6, you think that every imagination of the thoughts of the hearts of men was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he made man. And he said, I will destroy the earth with a flood. And now we come to Matthew 24. And Jesus is saying, as it was in those days, it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. Folks, we are not liberated. We are living in a world that is under sinful bondage. And society thinks that in their great liberalism that they are free. We are living in a world that is characterized by the conditions of Romans chapter 1. Men have rejected God and they have put off worshiping the creator and they are worshiping the creature. And their minds have suppressed the truth. And they have rejected God. And they have been focused and given over into all forms of sexual immorality and sexual perversion. And they think it's good. And Romans chapter 1 says that men have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. And there is a fearful judgment that is coming for a society like that. We are living in a world of destruction of the family. You know that God's order is under attack. And the truth of headship that God has laid out clearly. In the beginning, he made male and female. We were created in the image of God. And God said that a man should leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And they too shall be one flesh. And God's desire is that children would be raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord and taught the truth of God and that families should stay together. And what God has joined, let not man put asunder. But we are living in a world that does this with God's order. They mar and they mess up the sexes. And so we have a, a, a society of mass confusion. The gender issue is, is one of the biggest issues of our time. And we have uncertainty and unclarity. And, and because we have left off of, of the moral, um, biblical principles, we've lost our moral compass. And society is imploding. The world is destructing because they have rejected God. You know that there is also a destruction that is happening in the church today. There's a lot of false religion. There's a lot of false prophets. There are people that are rising up and they're preaching a prosperity gospel. And they're, they're trying to draw disciples after themselves. And they have these massive churches. And it's all a business. 
and they're flying around in their Lear jets, and they're making millions and millions of dollars, and they're telling everybody how good they are, and how wonderful and blessed that, that God has all these things for them, and people are being deceived. And I think that as Christians, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to get back to biblical bake basics, and we have to teach the fundament, fundamental principles of the Bible. Departure and destruction. You know, it says that in these last days, many will fall away. Many will stumble. There will be no depth, no root, no reality. I believe that that is in reference to false professors. People that really never knew God. Didn't actually have a work of God in their heart. Never came to know Christ. And, and when difficult times come, just like the Lord Jesus taught in the parable, that, you know, that, that seed that initially sprung up and looked like it was going to bear fruit, no, it had no depth. It had no root. And so when the sun came out and scorched it, it withered and it was gone. You get a picture of that in John chapter 6, when Jesus taught the truth. And, and all these people say, wow, this is a hard saying. Ah, we, we can't follow this guy anymore. And they walked away. And Jesus said to his disciples, will you go away also? And he, they said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so the true, hardcore, Bible-believing Christians that are true disciples of Christ will remain faithful. And we're living in a day when the church is like that grain of mustard seed and this massive tree sprung up and the fowls of the air representing Satan have come and lodged in its branches and infiltrated it. And so it's not until the very end that we will absolutely know who is a true believer in Jesus Christ and who has a weak, shallow, false profession with no root. And that is the character of the end times that the Lord Jesus spoke about. Not only did he speak about destruction, he spoke a lot about deception. You know that many false prophets will arise in the last days, and many will be deceived, and many will be laid astray, and there will be disheartened, and there will be people that will just be completely deceived because iniquity will abound. Apostasy will invade. It's invading right now. And so we have to stick to the core truth of the Bible and test it by what the Bible says. If men do not believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, they cannot be saved. And if they reject truth, they, they cannot be saved. That's what 1 John says. It makes it so abundantly clear. And we're marked with the spirit of the age of deception and apostasy. And that's why Jude wrote his epistle. And, and many other places that refer to that. There will be many professing believers that will fall away. And there will be many religious churchgoers that are visualized, as the Lord Jesus said in Luke 13, that when the master of the house rises up and shuts to the door, and they begin to come and knock, and they say, Lord, open unto us. And he shall say unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And Abraham and Isaac 
and all the prophets, and people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south, and they will sit down in the kingdom of God. And these false professing people that have deceived others are going to be on the outside because they never came to know Christ. So as we look at the condition of these times, what's the exhortation for us as believers? I believe that it is that we need to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for we know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. We need to be marked with discernment. We need to test the spirits by the word of God. We need to test doctrine by the word of God. We need to test truth by the word of God. And we need to follow Christ, not a religion, not a man, not a system, not an ideology, the word of God. This book is true. It is God's words. It will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. The words of this book will never pass away. And if you're building on this foundation, Matthew chapter 7, you're building on a rock. And the storm that is coming will beat on that house. The winds will blow. The rain will fall. But if your foundation is on Jesus Christ and the word of God, it doesn't matter what comes, you'll be steadfast. You will be solid and safe and secure. And that's my main exhortation to us today. As we look at a world that's unprecedented, moving and changing and so much uncertainty, my life is built on Christ. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. If you build your life on Christ and on the word of God, you'll be solid, you'll be safe, you'll be secure when that storm comes and you'll be raptured before the, the tribulation comes. And there's a lot more that I want to tell you and I can't really go into it now because my time is gone. Um, but this is what I want to wrap this up with. I, um, I started a new job. I think... Probably most of you know that. And uh, in my new job, I've been doing a lot of research and um, kind of, you know, tuning myself up on business concepts. I was reading this book this week. Um, great book, by the way, if you're in business. Um, it's called Good to Great by Jim Collins. Um, and he told this story in this book that I immediately related to about this message. Um, there's a business principle called the Stockdale Principle. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Probably not. The Stockdale Principle refers to an event that happened in history with a man called Admiral James Stockdale. Admiral James Stockdale was a U.S. Navy commander officer. He was the highest ranking officer in the Navy in the Vietnam War. And on September 9th, 1965, the President of the United States, President Johnson, called him and asked him specifically to lead an, uh, a critical um, bombing air mission over North Vietnam. And he said to him, he said, Admiral Stockdale, you are the best man that we have, and I have confidence in your leadership, and this is a critical event I need you to get up in that plane and lead these people. And so Admiral James Stockwell 
took flight that day from a, a U.S. aircraft carrier, and his Douglas A-4 Skyhawk plane was shot down. And he parachuted into the very center of a village where he was captured, imprisoned, brutally tortured, and held for eight years in a Vietnam prison of war camp. And the atrocities that happened to him are, are not able to even be publicly expressed because they're absolutely awful. He lasted in that prison for eight years. And many of his other team were also captured and they died. And they never made it out of that prison. When the war was over, apparently in February of 1973, Henry Kissinger... Uh, negotiated a ceasefire, and they released all the prisoners of war. And Admiral James Stockdale came home, and his feet landed on American soil. And they asked him, what, what on earth kept you through this? And this is what he said. He said, I confronted the most brutal facts of my current reality, and I resolved to retain faith and to never lose hope by looking forward to a joyous release of my current circumstances and a victorious homecoming when I would land on American soil and embrace my family and loved ones once again. He said, I never lost hope. I always believed. And he said, I never gave up. And as I read that, I thought... This is the message for Christians. We're living in a dark day. We know that it's going to get worse. God has told us. And yet we have a living, incredible hope that will never, ever die. We know nothing can separate us from the love of God. We know that we will see him. We will be like him. We'll see him as he is. And there will be a glorious homecoming. Three words that encouraged me. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 13, Jesus said, endure, endure. He that endures to the end shall be saved. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 18, he said, think about this glorious hope of the return of the Lord and wherefore, comfort. Comfort one another with these words. And 1 John 3 and 3, he said, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Beloved saints, never ever lose sight of the glorious coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. For unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Hebrews 9 and 28. Let's close in prayer. Father, we are thankful today that we have a bright and glorious hope that our foundation is in Christ. It is secure. And no matter what happens to us in this world, in this unprecedented time that we live in, we know that our hope and our faith is in God. And we know, Lord, that there is coming a day when we will be raptured, we will be home with the Lord, and we will reign with Christ for a thousand years. And we will enjoy that in the ages to come, he will share with us the exceeding riches of his grace. And so, Lord, we love you. 
We thank you for this great truth. Encourage us today. Give us a a step in our, our walk that we might be able to walk victorious through this world with confidence and with security, looking for that glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be true witnesses. Help us to be faithful with the gospel. Help us, to Lord, to live in a way that you want us to live and encourage us all today as we part, as we give thanks. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.